So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, joined here, of course, by my ever-lovable co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm your other host. That's true, you are. And we are <laughs> very happy that we are going to have none other than um, John Gilstrap on the show today. He's going to be talking about his latest book, Hellfire, which is out now, so people can grab their copy of that. But we want to remind everybody that, of course, all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so visit kensingtonbooks.com, along with Suspense Magazine, so visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. And if you want to go ahead and grab a copy of our anthology with Jeffrey Deaver, Linwood Barkley, Hey Philip P. Ryan, Reese Bowen, and many others, it is available now. It is called Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, so check that out. Um, but you ready, Jeff? I am. I'm looking forward so, to this. Let's go. So without any further ado, let's welcome back Mr. Gilstrap to the show. It's been so long, John. How are you doing? I am doing very well, thanks. I'm a little disappointed that I'm not lovable, too, but, you know, you, know, it's, it's, hey. you, know, I, you, you have to earn. I get it's it. implied. So. Your name is John. It's already lovable. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John's are implied lovable. That's just <laughs> the way it is. So, yeah. Yeah. But. Um, you got another Jonathan Gray book for us, of course, here, and this is the follow-up to your last one, which was, uh, I think it was Nathan's, Nathan's Total Mayhem is what it was. Total um, Mayhem. Yes. Yeah. So now you got Hellfire coming out. So give us the skinny on what you got going on. Well, in Hellfire, we got, uh, you know, Jonathan is a philanthropist. Jonathan Grave is, is a freelance hostage rescue specialist. He's my, he's my hero. And um, in his spare time, he is a philanthropist who runs a, a school, residential school for the children of incarcerated parents, which honestly I think should be a real thing. I'm just saying. And, um, and the, at the beginning of the book, two of the kids that are being transferred from a foster home to a resurrection house, which is the name of the school, they are kidnapped and taken away. And, of course, now Jonathan takes that, that very seriously, and what we all assume to be the case, as they do the research, is that their mother, uh, Connie Kendall, uh, Ryder and Jeff Kendall, are the, are the two kids that have been kidnapped, we all assume that they have been kidnapped in order to keep uh, their mother from testifying against the, one of the, the, the drug cartels in Mexico. And then we find out that what the plot really is is far darker than just keeping her quiet from talking about the cartels. It's a fun book. I, I really, really enjoyed this book. You know, it's one of those things. I, this is number 12, I think, in, in the Grave series, although they can all be read it is. Uh, it is 12. independently. But, you know, when you're in the middle of, of writing the book and, and, and you're actually excited about it and it's like, oh, wow, what's going to happen next? That was, that was the experience in writing Hellfire. It was, it was, I enjoyed it. Um, well, I'm curious, is there going to be a number 13? It's going to be called Stealth Attack, and I'm in the middle of it right now, and I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> oh, I like you that. you got to figure okay. that out. you gotta, you got you to gotta stealth it out there. What, are you my editor? Because I just had that discussion with her, so yes, I will. You, dude, you got to put me on the phone. You know you know, three-way call. All you got to do is just text me. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, the John Bombardment. I like this. Um, so tell me how Jonathan Grave came into your mind especially because you've written about him for 12 books now. Obviously, you know a lot about him. How, did, how, did he, uh, how, how was he born? Back in 2006, I think, um, I wrote a nonfiction book called Six Minutes to Freedom, 
which was a, a, true, a true story, as nonfiction books are, about the um, rescue of a fellow named Kurt Muse from uh, Panama in the opening moments of, our, of Operation Just Cause. And it was the very first book at the time, well, at the time it was the only book that Delta Force, the first Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta, um, had ever cooperated in. And I got extraordinary access to the Delta Force guys. They're the ones who, who did the rescue of, of Kurt. And I was struck by how um, ordinary these guys are. Um, they're, they're gentle men as well as gentlemen. They're obviously capable of unspeakable violence, but only to those who, who show violence. And I, w- I was just so struck by how different the, the elite special forces are from the way they're typically portrayed in media. And I started thinking about, you know, first of all, I have all this research, right? So I, the nonfiction book is done, so I've got all this research. And what I learned was this, that... Um, there's a difference. There's a strategic difference in how we rescue hostages overseas versus domestically. If somebody is kidnapped uh, or taken hostage, I guess the same thing, uh, in the United States, the, the primary mission of the rescuers is to make sure that the bad guys are prosecuted. The primary mission is not to rescue the hostage, which doesn't mean that they write them off anything but that. I mean, they're very dedicated to what they do. But careers are not ruined when, when a hostage dies. In fact, the, a buddy of mine on the HRT hostage rescue team calls a, uh, a hostage taking or kidnapping a homicide in slow motion. On the other side, if you're kidnapped overseas, your rescue is going to be either handled by Delta Force or by uh, Navy SEALs if the local assets can't, can't take care of it. And in that case, the only mission, the primary mission, is to get the hostage back. If they get secondary intel and all that, that's, that's good too. But the mission is to bring the hostage back. And if you think about it, that's kind of an important distinction. So I got this idea of having a freelance hostage rescue specialist, an independent operator who's a former Delta operator, who takes the foreign model and applies it domestically. That's where Jonathan Grave comes from. Cool. Nice. Nice. I mean, not that you're 13 books then, though. How do you kind of keep re-energizing yourself to go back to the typewriter? Is it just the plots? Is it the intricacy that you want to kind of see that you got going on? What is it that brings John Gilstrap back to that typewriter every time? Well, I think that the, um, each of the books is really about the victims more than it is about Jonathan and his team. So the real character development that happens in each of the books, which, is, which keeps them fresh and, and makes them feel new, is the, the major development comes from whoever has, whoever's in danger, you know, who's, who's been taken or, or who's, who's being attacked. So, you know, in a sense, it's, I write standalone thrillers with recurring characters. So it's never been a problem. I mean, Jonathan and Boxers and, you know, his, that whole team, as, as the writer – they're my friends, you know, I, I know them very, very well. In fact, they're kind of based on real people. Um, so it's, it's, it's never a problem. And you know what, I've, I've always feared thinking about the process too much because, you know, you, you sign a contract and you produce a book a year. And, and, and 
And I'm always worried that if I think too hard into how I do it or why I do it or where the ideas come from, that they're going to go away. Does that make any sense? That does. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, um, I'm curious. So your book is a, is a mass market paperback original. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about the state of the publishing industry as a whole because I see a lot of authors going away from that format, and yet your books are doing quite well in this format. So I'm wondering, since you have this sort of perspective, you know, e-books and all this other stuff, I'm wondering how do you see the publishing industry right now? Oh, man, that's, that's like asking the factory worker how he, you know, what he thinks is the future of Ford. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't I, – I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that the, the thriller buyer at Walmart loves my books, right? So um, the, for, for mass market, the, the shelf space has diminished greatly, A and lot. I'm honored to be – occupying my share of that real estate. Um, in terms of, of, of the future of the industry, as I understand it, and I, I don't research this, but as I understand it, there are more books sold today than there were 10 years ago, it, you know, if you can consider all formats. All formats, yeah. Yeah, so cool. you know, I, I, I sell a lot of e-books. I sell a, a lot of paperbacks. Um, and so, so I don't know. That, that's not... There are certain things, what is it, God grant me the serenity, right? Um, yeah. all, all I can do is, is concentrate on, on story. The publisher makes all the publishing decisions, and so far, God bless them, they've been doing well. Well, it's kind of the adage that's, that, that goes on. It's like, it's a great thing because right now anybody can write and publish a book, but the bad thing is anybody can write and publish a book. So it's kind of like the gatekeepers have kind of been taken to the sidelines a little bit because there's now just a flood of the market, and I think that there's just a lot more supply than there is demand at times. And, and what it is is that it makes it difficult for authors like yourself and whatnot to, to keep above all that noise of the self-published authors and the people trying to grab their pieces of the pie when, I mean, let's face it, I mean, quite frankly, 80% of that stuff is crap. I mean, I'm just going to say it. It's not edited. It's not written well. It's really poor. So I think that hurts. I think that hurts. Well, you know what? I, I don't think you – know, we, we get into, into terminology here, and, and we can ruffle some feathers. I consider it legitimate publishing or traditional publishing or whatever it is that, that I do, you know, the old model. Yeah. It's more traditional um, because it's, 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 it's based on editing. It's based on a process. It's based on getting the product out. You have to go through a ton. You're already writing a book now that's not going to see the light of the day for 14 months because of all the shit it has to go through. Right. But when you're self-published, you're like, yeah, I reached the end. Okay, Mom, I'm putting it on Amazon tonight. It's like, dude, you haven't even gone back and read Reddit. Like, you have no but idea you what know, it is. After, for most of the self-published books, and, and you know, look at, look at the, the Martian, Andy Weir's book. I mean, that was self-published to begin with. It didn't become mm-hmm. a spectacular hit and, until it, it was picked up by one of the majors. But you know, there are, I think, talent will out. You know? So the, yeah. the majority of self-published books sell to you know, the, the, guy's immediate, the author's immediate family and three other people. And, I, and those folks are training the reading public to avoid self-published books. So if you, if you go on to Amazon uh, or, or Barnes & Noble or Kobo or you know, wherever it is you want to look, 
you know, there, if, if you look at the listing for the book, there's, there's a difference. You see, you see the blurbs from other authors. You see the, the, the publication date. You see the reviews. You see um, – so I, I, I think that – But you're assuming that people actually scroll and look at that because I've been preaching it for years. If the name of the publisher is the name of the author, it's self-published. I mean, yeah. look up the name of the publisher. If you don't know this publisher, just go search it out, and then you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's John, just, it's just John Doe just put his name on a company and said it was a publishing company. You know, I don't know. You don't know what <clears> – you can't judge tough, the name, it? right? So I, there, it's That's impossible cool. for me to know how many sales I didn't get. I know. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at – at, at, at my books and, and Jeff Deaver's books and David Baldacci's books and you know, name name any you know Tess Garrett's and any of the <clears throat> the named authors that are out there, they sell more ebooks than they do any other books. So yeah, there, I think there comes a tipping point. Mm-hmm. I hope there comes a tipping tipping point where you know folks hang out for the next Baldacci book, they hang out for the next Gilstrap book, or they hang out for the you know whatever and. Right. And publishing companies are capturing all of that data. You know, if anybody, I hope this doesn't turn anyone off, but, but if, if you ordered Hellfire through Amazon, trust me, the publisher knows. And you'll be getting an email when the next book comes out. And assuming you liked Hellfire, then we hope that you'll line up to, to buy the next one. Uh, and it works the other way too. There's an old. St- I remember um, Tom Peters used to do marketing lectures way back in the day, and he says nothing destroys a bad product better than good marketing. And uh, you know, you, you you get people to line up to buy the Popeil Pocket Fisherman, and you realize that it's, how old am I? And you realize <laughs> I was just going to say, dude, that's old. <laughs> you realize Popeil. it's really not the best fishing pole in the world. Yeah, so you get folks who are self-publishing or advertising who are not good, and there are some good ones, but the ones who are not good are, are just advertising the fact that they're not very good. And, and, and not only are they destroying their careers in self-publishing, they are establishing a sales record that ruins their career for traditional publishing later if that's how they want to go. Mm-hmm. I guess so. They just don't know um, you remind me of uh, there was a person at Thriller Fest one year who had a postcard for their ebook, and it said, "Get the ebook while supplies last." <laughs> <laughs> you know, could go away. Oh, uh, yeah, like hmm, okay. Um, so, 1996. I remember exactly where I was when I was given an advanced copy of this book called Nathan's Run, and. I fell in love with your writing from that point forward, and I've been reading everything you've done since. So my question is, where the hell is the movie? Interesting question you ask. <laughs> it, it's in development hell. It's been stuck in development hell since 1996. Okay. Um, Welcome to Hollywood. That's right. Oh. Um, and it was an outright purchase. They, I mean, they, if they wrote, if 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 I were to write a check. As big a, as a check as they wrote to me to buy the rights, I'd have figured out a way to make the friggin' movie. But that's not how Hollywood works. So no. it just sits there languishing in, in development hell, waiting, waiting. If there's a producer out there, waiting for somebody to rescue it out of turnaround. 
Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, so my question is, um, if somebody tomorrow says, hey, we're going to take Jonathan Grave and make it a TV series for Netflix, just hypothetically, which one would you want them to start with? And would you want them to do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yes, I would, I would want them to do that. I, my theory, okay. you know, I, I, I think I write cinematically. But then I also realize I've been involved in seven movie projects over the years, and, and I realize that what I do has no bearing whatsoever on on the product that comes out of Hollywood, it, which is as it as it should be. You know, I've I've, I've adapted Nelson DeMille's work, and I've, I've adapted Thomas Harris's work, and I've I'm not interested in if, when I was writing those scripts, I didn't want to hear what the authors had to say. I knew what the authors had to say because I read their books. I, my job was to create a movie that reflected the story and and i get how that works in terms of which of the grave books i think they all kind of uh survive you know thrive as as standalone books i think um hostage zero which is the second in the series is is particularly good i think hellfire would do well i I think think friendly fire that that's just my choice if i had to pick and i don't mind choosing which one of your kids i like the best and it's friendly fire I, I would agree. I, th- I think Friendly Fire, it, which is yeah. it, it's kind Dude, of a different twist stop. than Friendly I Fire. You, I think that's, your fastest, that's one of your fastest-paced books. Thank I you. I do. It didn't stop. Well, and Against All Enemies won the award for a Thriller Award that year. It did. Best paperback original, yeah. Well, Friendly Fire should have won because it was better than the, that was better than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the you know. You're supposed to tell him he does better with each book, John. What's wrong? Okay, well, 2015 was Against All Enemies, and he did better in Friendly Fire. And then, <laughs> and then the last one, you know, and the last three are extremely good, but you've got to pick one. See, that's the thing. When you yeah. sit there and you start talking about the wins, you've got to have a favorite. you just got to say, no, I like this kid better. I can't help it, kid. I can't help it. <laughs> I like you better. You know, I kind of like what they did. The producers of Bosch on um, uh, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Right, combining think, right? books? Yeah. I'm sorry? For, yeah, they just yeah, combine they them. Com- they, com- they combine a couple books for a season. Yeah. I mean, they just kind of shuffled the deck on the plots. And, well, and what they did was highlight the character Bosch. And I think yeah, that right. worked really, really well. Well, look at Wazoli and Isles. They only kind of used the surgeon for their pilot, but then it kind of went off the rails. Like I still they didn't like really the show, use... though. Huh? I still like the show, though. The show was great, but, I mean, I think they used the, the, the surgeon for, like, their pilot kind of thing, and then they just kind of decided, forget the books, we're just going to roll with the characters. I think they just kind of went that way. Kind of with Kathy Reichs and Bones, I mean... You know, she has like 17 books, but the show was on for five years or six years, one of the longest-running shows on, on that uh, Fox. I think it was on Fox. So, I mean, there comes a point where you just got to – you're just running with it at this point. We want to see Jonathan Grave on TV is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, well, and that's what I was going to ask. Would you rather – do you think he would be better for TV, or do you think it would be better to just adapt a, each book into, like, movies? You know, okay. which truth is, this is, you... this is, I don't, I don't want to piss off any, any movie producers out there. I think the big screen is dead. I think that the, we talk about training uh, readers of, of, of self-published books to not like mm-hmm. the books. I think the studios have trained people to walk away from superhero thrillers. That's all they want to produce. And I that's think they make a crap we're seeing money. coming out of Netflix and Amazon Prime and, 
And, you know, even, even some of the alphabets where they, where they take on, like Jeff Deaver's book, um, uh, Search of the Bone Collector or whatever, you know, I, I think that is some of the best storytelling that's out there right now. Uh, I, would, I would love to see the, um, the, the Grave series adapted for kind of a long-form series. Yeah. Well, and, and NBC, um, I think, killed the, the Bone Collector series. They did. Yeah, which was a shame because it was great, man. Well, you know, except in all fairness, I love you, Jeff, um, Deaver, the, the, <laughs> the Search for the Bone Collector, they got him. I mean, what, what is season two of the Search of the Bone Collector? Well, right, and I think that they might – I think they were just going to try to just do Lincoln Rhyme in general, and then may, or maybe they just decided, no, we did it, and then it's over. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, which is fine. They could have had you know a different series under a different name. They could have just said you know Lincoln Rhyme and the I don't know the Devil's Table, I think, or whatever it was, in something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious since you've done 12 books so far that we have access to with Jonathan Grave, how do you keep track of the elements as the series progresses? You d- you did say you consider each one a standalone. But for the readers like me who's read them all, what, um, I guess, how do you keep track or do you make mistakes and people catch you on them? Oh, far, so much more the latter than the former. Um, (laughs) What happens is, you know, I've I've written 12 books over 12 years and people will discover the series, God bless them, and I love this, and they binge read. So they read 12 years of my work over the course of, you know, a month. And then they will... They very helpfully write to me with some of the discrepancies that exist. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, got me. You know, it's, it's, I, I think I understand the characters and the situations enough that I can, I can keep it all in my head, um, but I really can't. And what I should have done a dozen years ago is started what they call a series Bible, Mm-hmm. which is all of the details, hair color, and where do people come from. And you know, I got a character named Veniche, and she's, she's, she's a, a wizard on, on things computerized. I know that somewhere in some book I mentioned the name of her former husband. I don't know which book, and I don't know what the name was. And I kind of want to bring him back in the book I'm writing now, and it's intimidating because... I really don't know how to go about finding him. So, right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I've written a couple of uh, series Bibles for authors, um, and it is. It, there's so much detail in there that you don't even realize that you've put in them. Uh, yeah, I totally get that. I call them throwaway lines. You know, somebody walks in the door and and you mention that they like this kind of bourbon or they like that kind of sandwich or whatever, you just kind of toss it out there and then you move on. And then four books later, you bring that same character back. I bring that same character back because I really like that. I like to cross the DNA of the books. Um, In fact, as as we stand now, of the, all of my books, all of the standalones from way back in the day, from the 90s and the early aughts, they all now share DNA with the grave books. Somebody has crossed paths with somebody. So, you know, it's, I've, I've combined the world and I, and I like to do that. And I like to bring back characters, but yes, it's, 
it's daunting. But you can't, you know, as, as you're writing, you're in the moment, you're throwing words on the paper. You can't stop and, you know, document each of, each of these things. That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, I guess you would almost have to be like, okay, I'm going to make sure that he always drinks, you know, Patron tequila, but that's going to be a thing. Like, you're going to make it a thing, like, like James Bond, you know, shake and not stirred. Like, that was a thing. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, you will have those throwaway lines, and then people are going to be like, wait a second, he drank Crown Royal four books ago. What the hell is he drink, drinking, you know, Stoli now? And it's like, dude, really? Come on, stop. In fact, in the second book, you said he hates uh, tequila. So why is he drinking tequila? Yeah, that, that, that stuff does happen. I know, I know. <laughs> but, no. but you know what? Ultimately, it's, what that says to me, Mr. Pollyanna here, but what it says to me is that, that readers are bonding so closely with the characters and with the stories that they're actually coming to life for them and that they therefore notice these discrepancies. So, you know, to me, I, as, and I always respond to these, it, it's, it really is an honor. You know? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of awesome that folks have taken this level of interest in, in the characters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. now... The, the one thing is, of course, and Jeff didn't bring it up, but you are pretty much a series writer. And, you know, you, you, but you have written standalones in the past uh, with your latest, I guess, uh, you, you've written a couple standalones in the past. You've written some short story things and a couple standalones. So are there any ideas or anything that come to your head that you're like, I really want to write this and it's outside Jonathan Gray, but you're going to do it anyway? Do you get those ideas running around your head? I don't know if you teed that up on purpose or not, but bless you for it. Yes. Um, <laughs> beginning next March, there's a, a new series. Actually, it's coming out. Um, the series doesn't really have a name yet. The first book is called uh, Crimson Phoenix. Okay. And it's actually... They get mad at me when I call it post-apocalyptic because that means zombies now. But it's, it's really like Alas, Babylon meets Lonesome Dove. It's... After Armageddon, how do people put society back together again? And I've got Victoria Emerson from West Virginia. Uh, she was a, a member of Congress who refused to go into the bunker and abandon her kids. And it, she's one of these natural leaders who helps rebuild society after Armageddon, after people have become feral. And it's I, so yes, I, I, okay. I do. And I'm really proud of it. In fact, I just finished the copy edits yesterday on this thing. And um, I'm really happy with it. I can't – it comes out in March. I can't wait. Is it going to be content as well? Oh, hardcover. Yeah. I was going to ask about hardcover. Okay. Mm, Interesting. Nice. Definitely. Can't wait. Get us the galleys as quickly as you can, please. There you go. Oh, there's going to be a flood of galleys going out. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, so, so com is your website. That's the best place I'm, I'm taking it for everyone to find out all the information that you want them to know about your writing and everything, right? That is, that's the portal to my, my the, the website, to my Facebook, to my YouTube channel. To, everything goes through com. And now, I know you're on Facebook and you just mentioned YouTube. Now, which, which social media format are you on the most for people to interact with you? Is it Facebook? Uh, probably Facebook. Okay. Where you know I'm John Gilstrap. Actually, I think I'm John Gilstrap author. On, on, uh, on no, no, let's find out. We'll click or, on the link and we'll see where it takes us. And it is. It is John Gilstrap author. So there you go. 
and I'm, I, I think you'll find I have a very quick response rate. You know, it's one of the things I promised myself way back in the day. Um, you know, be, you know when, when you hope that one day you're going to have fans, um, yeah. and, and then ultimately they, they show up, God bless you. Um, I respond to every email myself. I respond to every Facebook thing myself. Twitter, uh, I don't get Twitter. I have a hard time with Twitter. Um, I, mm-hmm. I have a presence there, but that's really the – Twitter and LinkedIn are the absolute worst ways to get in touch with me. Or you can just write me at john at johngillstrap.com. True, which is right on your Facebook page. It says it right there, john at johngillstrap.com. And it's always open. That's the great thing. Yes. well john i gotta tell you it's been absolute pleasure of course to have you back on again and the book everybody is called hellfire the book is out now available where you want to get it make sure you go to johngillstrap.com for more information on all his writing so hey my friend it's always a pleasure i know it's been a while great been on we gotta have this more often though and again too bad we're not all in thriller fest just you know bullshitting and talking like this but another time another day we'll be together but think how much more sober we are right now than we would have That's been true. if we were at the bar at Thriller Fest. That's true. We would be screwed. It'd be eight thirty right now at night at Eastern time, and we'd be knee deep into it. And probably two o'clock, we'd crawl back to our rooms and start all over <laughs> at seven a.m. for Craft Fest. There you go. <laughs> That's Thriller Fest for you, baby. <laughs> So, all right, John, again, thank you so much for coming out. Again, everybody, the book is called Hellfire, johngillstrap.com for more information. Thank you, sir. You have a great one. You have a great one, too. Thanks, guys, so much. Yep. Thank bye you. Bye. All right, bye-bye.